Welcome to Mental Health and You. This podcast brings you the best information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk Foundation Trust. Every fortnight, we will hear from one of our specialist areas, be it school and parent support, the recovery college, well-being or research. welcome to the Psychology in Schools team podcast. Today we're talking together about how we can support our children if they're struggling with wanting to go to or attending school. This is particularly relevant post-pandemic. We know lots of young people have struggled to get back into school following the difficulties over the last few years. I'm really pleased to introduce who we have with us today to discuss this really important topic. Firstly, welcome to Michaela a parent who has lived experience in this area. Hi, Michaela. Hello, thank you so much for asking me um, to come on to the podcast today. Um, I've got two children. I've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. Um, both, unfortunately, over the years have struggled a lot with anxiety. Um, and so, yeah, it'd be nice to share some, some of each other's views um, and ways that we can help each other um, in that topic. Great, thanks so much, Michaela. And Linda? Hi, I'm Linda. I'm a senior psychotherapist who works in the Psychology in Schools team, which is part of the local children's mental health services. Um, I guess I've worked in mental health services for years, so often have come across um, times where I've worked with young people and families who have struggled around attending school. And I guess part of that role of the work has also been linking in with school staff and thinking about how to support them. And so I guess, you know, I think that that experience is really going to sort of help inform my thoughts around what we'll talk around today. And I think we've got Satya here as well, Dr. Abraham. Oh, hello. Uh, good afternoon and thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Saki Abraham. I'm a consultant, child and neurosis psychiatrist and I work for the NSFD in the CAMS team at West Suffolk and I've been a doctor for 20 years and working in the specialist area for the last 10 years. I work with different professions, with parents and young people too, with, you know, with um, mental difficulties, mental health difficulties and um, school refusal is one of the, one of the things that I come across uh, when they are at the severe end. So it will be good to discuss about, you know, how, what has been helpful and what may be helpful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for all being here today for this conversation. And throughout the podcast, we may well uh, mention some resources and signpost families so that they can get additional information, because we know we can't cover everything in this 40 minutes. I think it's really important to acknowledge at the beginning of this podcast just how stressful it can be as a parent or a carer when your child is not happy to attend school and how consuming it can become, not just for the young person who's stressed about going to school and the parents, but also the whole family. I know this personally because in the last year, my youngest son, who's just turned 10, so he was nine at the time, has really struggled with wanting to go to school. So I've had to kind of go through the process of experiencing what I've talked with so many families in um, my work over the years. And so my son wasn't going to sleep at night. He was coming home from school exceptionally distressed. Um, and it was really affecting the weekends, Sunday afternoons, um, and actually just beginning to really disengage with life outside of school, as well as kind of struggling in school. 
Um, and as a parent, I work full time. I'm a single parent and I was so torn between this feeling of being really worried about how unhappy he was and wanting him to be obviously meet his potential at school and thrive. But also just like I need him to go to school. I need to not have this battle every morning. I need to not have this added layer of kind of distress in the evenings at home so it was really having an impact on me as a parent so I, just to be clear in this podcast I will talk not just as a professional but also as a parent um, so Michaela I was just thinking about your experience and if there's any things that you can share about some of the difficulties you might have faced with your boys yeah definitely well very similar to you really bedtime um, in our household at one stage was awful. Um, We had one child that would repeatedly have nightmares. He started sleepwalking, um, sort of calling out in the night, getting up in the middle of the night and then having to try and resettle him just because of his anxiety levels were through the roof. Um, My younger son, um, it would be very much of he'd bottle it all up um, when he come home from school and you'd sort of say, how was your day? Um, and the response you'd get fine, fine. Um, and then it would sort of get to bedtime. And as you're about to say good night, it would literally well up and you'd have tears. I would have oh, my heart's beating too fast. I've got tummy ache. I feel like I'm going to be sick. Literally every everything that you could possibly think of right at the time when you think great I'm going to go downstairs have a cup of tea watch something that I want to watch on the tv and relax for the evening (laughs) but no you've got all these triggers running around um and you're trying to calm well at one point I was trying to calm one child down then the other one would be setting off at the same time um and yeah it just it can get really on top of you actually um I also experienced with my youngest son um especially before school time full-blown panic attacks um where he he couldn't breathe his chest would go really tight he would have a tummy ache um, and we actually did used to have vomiting as well um and that is kind of so hard to deal with because you're seeing all of these sort of physical symptoms but you know later on down the line I then learned um that these were you sort of you know they'd come from his brain basically so they although you know he wasn't actually ill he he had anxiety um and I think as a parent that that was really hard for me to get my head around because you're seeing your child being sick you're seeing your child saying that they've got a headache and things and um and then trying to explain to school that although your child has been sick this morning it's because of anxiety and they haven't actually got a bug that anyone else can catch Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean they were some really tricky things that I encountered really. And Michaela what you're talking about I guess is so helpful you've explained it so clearly the impact that anxiety can have on us physically on on our children physically and sometimes it can be really unclear as parents also school staff trying to work out initially what's going on with a young person when they're clearly experiencing physical symptoms but it's knowing what's the cause of those physical symptoms and I guess you sort of um, 
it took some while for you to work that out. And then, of course, trying to align and help school to understand is just another layer of pressure sometimes that parents uh -huh. can face with trying to negotiate this. And I guess what you said that I think is so important is how you talked about trying to help your child to understand what was going on for them. So yeah. what we know is that um, our bodies have been developed and are biologically set up to respond where our brain senses there's some threat and stress can bring on that sense of threat and that then brings on this release of hormones and chemicals throughout our bodies which cause all those physiological symptoms that you've just been describing and they can come on at bedtime or like you say they might also just come on in in the morning and can be so powerful that it can create a real fear in the person experiencing them. We know that sometimes people attend A&E because they're worried that what's going on with their body and then they discover it is just as you were talking about a panic attack. If we can help our children to understand when we've worked out and made sense that it is anxiety and not a physical cause that's bringing those things on, then we, our children themselves can tell their brain and say, oh, it's just my brain. It's just my brain looking after me. It thinks as a threat. And actually, by even telling our brains that, that can help to um, calm down the body and calm down that arousal and stop those chemicals from whooshing around the body. And so I guess just by you saying that, it sounds very simple, but teaching your children what's going on, it stops those chemicals keeping going and helps the body to settle and gives our children a chance to sort of try and settle in themselves and try and work out what's going on. I wonder if there was anything else in particular, Michaela, that you found helpful in trying to support your children to manage their anxiety and any particular um, techniques or relaxation strategies that, that you found worked with your, your children in particular? Um, well, with both of my um, my children, um, I did end up after doing sort of I done lots of research myself <laughs> to try and to try and sort of have some creative ideas as to ways that I could help them um, and get them to sort of talk about things rather than bottling it up. Um, and so yeah, so we used to play some games together um, in the evening time. So that's something that we continue to be honest because I find that that's quite a good talking time so I let them kind of come in from school do whatever they like which is gaming um, <laughs> and then we tend to have some tea and then I call it sort of our calm time so we tend to play some board games or card games but at the same time we're talking about our day we're talking about our experiences if we've had any worries during the day but it's sort of done so I talk about my day as well so it's not just them telling me all their problems you know if I've had a particularly bad day I might also say oh well mummy's not had a great day today either um just so that they realize that it's it's like that for everybody and then I find with both of my children they do work well with routine so we tend to then once they've had their bath and things and calm time we tend to then just chill out on the sofa watch a bit of tv but yeah, I mean, important wise, I mean, therapy has really helped with my two children. They have both had um, some like different therapists help them both um, with learning about themselves, learning about their needs and then doing some 
calming activities so we've done a bit of meditation and there's different apps that you can upload onto your phone with some sort of different meditation techniques that you can use both of my children like the hand breathing technique so you you run your finger up and down your um, sorry yeah run one finger up and down the other fingers on your hand whilst sort of doing some deep breathing in and out and um, both of them have found that really useful um, and that tends to really calm them down when they're doing that I sort of say let's do our breathing together and then we all do it together and um, sorry I'm just racking my brains now all the different well, things. Well Michaela we while you're just thinking about that I'm just thinking wow so you're talking about that you've but you helped support your children to learn some strategies to help manage that calm down time to help manage that anxiety when it's high, at high levels and settle the body and mind back down and we know that things like hand breathing that you're talking about you can easily um, search that on the internet and see lots of lovely video links about how to do that but what I'm hearing is you were doing that with modeling so doing it alongside your children and one thing we know is that that can make a massive difference to supporting our children to learning these skills and I guess it's really important just to highlight here how how actually unless we practice these skills uh, around um, physiologically calming our body we often don't find them that helpful to use just in a situation where where we are struggling and it will be exactly the same for our children so it's a bit like learning a, an instrument or developing a skill in a support or in sport or in a craft we need to we need to practice it so did you find there was a particular time of day that that was helpful for you to do with your young people yeah it was sort of after after bath time we yeah when we're sort of chilling on the sofa we would we would try things like the meditation and things together and um, say so, yeah I mean my eldest found that particularly funny it didn't actually the, the meditation didn't help him he just thought it was hilarious but my younger child um actually found that really really helpful and really relaxing and he liked the fact that I would sit and do that alongside him and um, so so yeah I mean different things like that have really worked talking through problems um, and talking through things that they struggle with also sort of has really helped with both of my children alongside sort of the, the therapy side of it as well and speaking with schools. I was just thinking Michaela about what, what you're kind of sort of describing here is really you as a parent finding a way to get yourself be in a bit of a different zone because I know what it's like in the evenings you're kind of manically trying to get your children to bed so you can have a glass of wine or whatever it might be but what <laughs> you're able to do is often it sounds like kind of set aside the challenges of the day and create this kind of safe space where actually it's the focuses on really supporting your children being curious about what's going on from for them from their perspective and I'm just thinking about that relation to my son in terms of he was really emotional was really angry he was even punching himself in the face because he was so upset yeah. and, and it was really difficult to work out why it, I didn't know straight away it was linked to school um, so I think sometimes our children's behaviour or the challenges that they, we might be seeing, it's not necessarily obvious exactly why they might be behaving like that. And it, it was really that I just thought, I know what I need to do because I tell everyone else to do this. I need to just spend a bit of time with him every night in his bedroom, playing, like you said, a kind of game with him and just create a space that I can be curious about what's going on. And then with that curiosity, 
unpack it a little bit to understanding where are the exact pinch points because I think it started off with I hate school I hate everything about school um, and then I think we were able to once he was in a kind of more calmer mindset explore what it was about school that he was struggling with so much was it a particular point in the day a particular member of staff a particular interaction with some friends was it to do with the subject was it to do with him feeling like he was struggling to learn and contribute um, and I think that safe time that you've described was actually the most helpful thing to do because from there we could then think about potential solutions and I guess um, what we know about young people who struggle to go to school the earlier that you can kind of find out what's going wrong and start to support that young person with getting back into school the, the better and I, I was wondering Safia what your thoughts were really in your experience of you know how do we help parents when they seeing some of these challenges um, you know respond and get that support from themselves and from school early I, I, you've, I'm sure you and CAMS have seen the other side of that where young people have for some time not been attending school yeah um yeah i completely agree with you because um you know sometimes we jump into conclusions very quickly um uh, but the trick is to actually slow down to stand back and seek help um because there can be several factors that may have gradually seeped in and contributing towards this over a period of time um and 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 in camps we tend to think it is you know it could be child factors so they could be uh, things like they may be recovering from a physical illness or a change in routine after school holidays especially um, or having fear of exams or failure. Uh, so that can be very overwhelming for them. And they they struggle to um, you know, express it. And sometimes it comes out in the form of a behavior. Sometimes there can be a little bit more to it, like there might be an underlying learning problems or um, having you know, sensory difficulties, and they may be feeling very overwhelmed in the school environment, which might need a little bit more teasing out. And sometimes, so that's the child factors that we would call, sometimes it's family factors. So it could be, you know, the child may be a young carer whereby there are other problems or somebody being very unwell at home to take care of them or worried about separating from the parent. And the parent may be worried about the child, so it can be vice versa. Or there may be a parental illness. So the child may be genuinely, especially for a COVID time, we know there were some parents who were really not um, well and children were frightened of bringing COVID back to their parents um, and sometimes it's about you know parents being very overprotective of um, children because they want the best but sometimes by trying to be overprotective um, they send the message then which makes a child anxious as well and they might sometimes there might be other factors like changes in the family like separation or divorce or other problems that may be contributory to child having difficulty to go to school. So those are the family factors. And then there are lots of other factors as well. But then, then, then the school factors. So sometimes in terms of, you know, the child may have moved to a new school uh, or there might be friendship issues, bullying or academic pressures or um, or they may not like certain subjects. So that that may be contributory. 
Um, but sometimes it's also community factors such as, you know, there um, the school is not able to provide certain level of support for the child or lack of um, school, you know, mental health resources or school psychology team, a lack of opportunities um, or poor, you know, support in general or even traffic block. You know, can you imagine, you know, if three or four children, they are in different schools and, you know, be, you know, if you're a single parent and you're working, you have to take the first child to one school, come off the traffic, go to the how stressful that can be. So then there are community factors as well that may be contributory to it. I mean, more and more, more recently, I'm also noticing, you know, sometimes transgender issues and the school, you know, and the, the, the children not, um, you know, equipped to deal with that or struggling to express themselves and worried about how they may be perceived as. Um, they can also be physical problems that may be contributory, such as hypermobility difficulties, which often goes very undetected. So they may have difficulty in holding pen or they may have difficulty to take part in PE. Um, so just by recognizing, because children may just complain of joint pains um, and they may be struggling. So just by paying attention to those little things can, for example, in hypermobility, they may benefit from having a typing, um, you know, having a, a laptop or uh, a device or maybe wearing trainers to school rather than the usual school uniform type of shoes which may hurt them. Um, so and sometimes teenagers, you know, especially girls when they have periods, that can be a difficult time. So those are little, there's so many things that, you know, that you can pick up as a parent to and then take and seek further help. I think that's so valuable. I know there's a lot there and I'm sure that for people listening in, there might be certain things, ideas that you might be thinking, oh, could could something that's going on be linked to that for my child? Um, and I guess the, the, the beauty of trying being a bit like a detective a kind of curious detective rather than a cross detective um, is that you can often if you can if you can find out what are some of the key problems, then you can move towards problem solving um, and then collaborating with the, the school and the, the professionals that can support that young person to ensure that they get the support that that that, that is required. Or it might just be, for example, you know, an, an issue around periods, for example, for girls. It's maybe just having that discussion around some heightened worries about what happens if and then as a parent, you can kind of work out an action plan of well if that happens this is what you can do and we can touch base with your head of year and make sure that they're happy with that we're going to talk a little bit more about relationships with schools and the, the importance of relationships with schools and how we talk about our schools and um a little in a little bit but what i thought would be helpful to do is come back to michaela because i guess what i'm hearing from what you're saying Safia, is that many young people have additional vulnerabilities or skills deficits they might really struggle for example with peer relationships and social skills or sit with kind of sitting still or whatever it might be or you mentioned hypermobility struggles with young people I know with with dyslexia for example um, and I just thought Michaela I know that you probably can can have a think with us out loud about how some of this, the vulnerabilities that your boys might have had, had 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 an impact on their desire to be at school and how you might have um, resolved that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, with both of my children, we have had a lot of their anxiety has been about them comparing themselves to 
to their friends and people they sit next to and not thinking that their work's as good as what it should be for, you know, for the age or for in their class. Um, I mean, both of mine have got um, dyslexia and so they really struggle with English-based sort of classes and lessons. Um, and and so it was, I mean, with myself, once we realised, I mean, my youngest son, that was his big trigger um, with his anxiety was um, sort of doing lots of writing um, because he thought that that was, you know, something that he wasn't good at. Um, and so at home, we did some practising of, of the writing um, so that it wasn't such a big thing. You know, it was it was getting to the point where every week that he knew that he was going to do a hot write, um, that he would have a panic attack and, you know, I can't go in, I can't go in, I don't feel well. Um, and it was kind of breaking down the barrier of him thinking that he was bad at something, that he wasn't at all, he just needed a little bit more support in that area. And now he actually really enjoys it. Um, so <laughs> he now actually, in his spare time, writes stories. So that was a bit of a winner, really. Um, but I mean, with him in particular, well, and my eldest, um, we did find that rather than having to keep writing, um, because both of my children have hypermobility in their fingers, um, me and the school um, sort of worked together and we introduced a laptop um, and that's taken the pressure off that so that they're, they're actually able to to get their ideas out without having the barrier of the constant fingers hurting um, and sort of struggling with the letter formation because of the dyslexia. Um, and so they were able to actually show their skills off, um, which then stopped them feeling so anxious about that particular um, that particular task in school. Um, but I mean, I'm really lucky because the school that both of my children um, went to primary wise um, was really inclusive. And so I had lots of positive meetings with the Senko um, and we'd go over sort of action plans, ways to help certain areas to, to prevent sort of the anxiety from flaring up again. Um, um, and so, yeah, so that, that side of things was really positive. It's, it's just hard as a parent to sort of pick out what you think the trigger could be <laughs> mm. and yeah, like you say trying to be the detective a little bit but but when you do actually find if there is a particular thing that is triggering your child when you get to the bottom of that you can then see it from their point of view and then things can sort of come together and you can realize you know quite how much a little bit of help or a little bit of support in a particular area if they are struggling can make such a difference on them being able to sort of succeed. And I, I think that's such an amazing point really because it's it's so much about enabling our children to build their confidence and their belief in themselves again often isn't it because I think quite often the, what we know about anxiety is the, it, it drives us to not do the things that we're worried about then the anxiety tends to get bigger and, and we tend to lose opportunities to learn that we can do things that we thought we couldn't do. Um, and we learn about solving problems. And and I guess, Linda, I was thinking of you could you could kind of elaborate a little bit on thinking about the power of avoidance and maybe some we'll go maybe go to Safia then to think about some top tips about what kind of advice and guidance we give to families when we when that might be a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when when any of us are anxious, we actually know that what we want to do is avoid the things that we feel anxious about. Very often that is a common human response. But what we know is that if people repeatedly avoid the things that they feel anxious about, that actually increases that anxiety. It keeps it going and it often makes it worse because, as Beth was saying, you don't actually have opportunities to put yourself in a situation to see that you can cope, even though you're anxious and I loved that your idea that you were talking about Michaela about doing this practice writing sessions with your boy at home and what you were doing is recognizing as you said once you'd identified the anxiety was around things like this hot write that we were doing in class then actually having a chance to do it in a more manageable environment a little bit at a time and gradually build up those skills has actually got him to a point which is amazing where his actually choosing to do creative writing in his own time I mean that's just wonderful to hear and I guess just as you have done um, the, we know that the way to manage the things that are difficult that we, that our children can feel anxious about is to support them in a very measured gradual way to build up their skills and that therefore learn to see that they can manage and I think what can be tricky sometimes with schools and children not getting into school is where schools um, are imagining that children need to just go in and maybe go in a few part-time days and then get back in full-time and of course we know for for many children they need a much more graded approach to be able to build up their confidence that they can manage things that are difficult we actually know that managing learning that you can manage things that are difficult is really important for all of us it's important for our self-esteem our confidence our self-worth and it enables us to um, make the most of life and try all sorts of different opportunities and as parents and carers that's absolutely what we want for our children so we can get caught up in this balance of trying to cosset them and keep them away from things that are causing the anxiety but in fact, if we forget about getting that bigger perspective of longer term, then we will be doing them a, a, um, um, a disservice because actually it's about helping support them gradually to face up to the things that can feel tricky with the right support in place. And that's really important to say. So you got support, Michaela, around the computing and you said your school, you know, it was great. The staff were very supportive around thinking about your child's needs. So we do need to make sure that the other things that are going on are addressed. Um, so if if there is other issues in school they do need to be looked at so that the child can feel safe enough to gradually return to school in a manageable way and I guess the key thing there is just as you were working with the staff in school around a plan we would encourage all parents to see really see if they can connect with somebody key in school to help make a plan that will work for their child and have the child central to that plan because they will know most what they can manage and actually what order of all the different steps they need to take um, will help them um, have the most chance of success of getting back into the school environment. Satya. Covered a lot there, um, uh, Linda. I think my top tips would be listen to your children with all your senses, you know, with your eyes, ears, nose, feel them under your skin. Observe your child with your heart and you know your child best, believe in yourself and watch out for what is happening. 
uh, appreciate and validate, but you know, do not give unhelpful reassurances, be realistic, do one step at a time, uh, reach out to their school as early as you can, uh, be honest with them, look at solutions and looking at triggers and maintaining factors. Uh, so be very kind, you know, but firm approach, uh, listening when they are, you know, talking about their worries, you know, sometimes they may not tell you when you ask for it. Sometimes it may be, you know, after dinner when they, you know, when they're not hungry, when they're not in pain, when they are calmed down that they might start to talk. So watch for that moment when they are ready to talk to you. Um, and create environments such as you did, Mekala, that, you know, when they feel that they're ready to talk, offering a moment of physical affection sometimes or remaining calm um, for them to speak um, and not, you know, not being frustrated at, about the situation. And um, there's also kindness in encouraging children to face their fears, because sometimes, you know, we think, oh, my God, by pushing them, I'm doing the wrong thing. But sometimes it's gentle encouragement because this will promote more confidence and autonomy. Um, children are like sponge because, you know, if you're anxious as a parent, they just soak up that anxiety um, and then and then then it just bounces off each other. So just be mindful about that. And looking at skills development, um, such as, you know, what you said about the relaxation techniques or how to deal with a bully or, you know, how to seek help, uh, identifying any specific learning difficulties and addressing them, just as you said about dyslexia or hyperflexibilities, um, and dealing with any sensory processing difficulties, um, uh, watching out for that and looking for any other concerning symptoms like, you know, are they persistently low in mood or showing any withdrawal or any self-harm um, or, you know, are they using any drugs or anything like that? So um, just, to be, just to be totally, you know, if there are concerns that, you know, you think that you don't know, seek help immediately. That's what I would say. Thanks. That's so, so, so great, Safia, to have all those ideas. And I think one of the things that I hear a lot from young people is that when they tell their parents something, they see their parents' face as being quite angry. And when I speak to parents, the parents are like, we're not angry, we're just really worried. And I think it's just such an important thing to hold on to as a parent. I know myself, when I'm worried or I hear something sad or difficult, I tend to do a face which to a young person looks like I'm cross with them. And so I have to be really careful and considerate about my non-verbal body language when my children or, or uh, young, indeed young people I'm working with um, are telling me things that I'm having feelings myself about. And I sometimes have to say, by the way, I'm really, I'm not angry with you. I'm not cross. I have to be really explicit because we know particularly adolescents, when they look at neutral faces, they see angry faces because of the way their brains are wired. So quite often I have to say, this is my curious face, particularly for young people I don't know. This is me showing I care about what's happening to you. It's, it's not because I'm judging you or or I'm um, angry with you. And I just think that's a nice, it's been a really helpful tip. And actually, I often tell young people, your mom's not angry with you. She's really worried about you. And I remember a few adolescents saying, this is revolutionary to know that my mom's, that face is my mom's worried face, not my ang her angry face. So I just thought I'd throw that into the mix. But I just very briefly, because we've only got five minutes left, but I just thought, you know, what we've been talking about raises the question of relationships with schools. And some of the messages we might 
unintentionally reinforce with our children if we're feeling frustrated with school and whether or not we feel like they're meeting our child's needs quickly enough. And it's, you know, it's very natural for us as parents to, to come to the defence of our children and to feel distressed and upset if we feel like school are not meeting our child's needs or contributing unintentionally in some way to the difficulties. And, you know, for me, I had to really think carefully about that with my son and make sure that I wasn't accidentally reinforcing his sense of that school's not a great place to be. Um, but I also needed to validate his experience and not kind of say, oh, don't be so ridiculous. You were a lovely school. How can you be so, you know, the first of all problems kind of thing. So um, I think that's really difficult balance to get as a parent. And I guess one of the things that I found helped me with that was I thought, school isn't going to provide everything for my child they can't and I, I we worked out what was going wrong for my child and what he needed and school work wasn't able to provide that entirely and that that's fine because it wasn't in their remit but what I did was as I went out and thought about how we could get some more of those things outside of school it made what we did outside of school even more important so I signed my son up to go to do football after school and to do a few more activities that are really meaningful and important to him and actually that was the single best thing I did to help him re-engage with life and and times at school by giving him something that he was looking forward to in the week at the end of the school day um, rather than just gaming because it's really easy when our kids just come home and they want to game indefinitely sometimes as a parent when you're busy you can leave them to it and he was doing a lot of that so I tried to bring in stuff that was important and meaningful to him outside of school um, so I just think it's kind of important to reinforce the idea that we as parents we can unintentionally reinforce some of the feelings our children have by airing our own frustrations and difficulties it's quite important to keep those boundaries in place and and model okay that's difficult but let's think about how we can you know come up with a, a solution to this problem together um, and I, I guess I wondered if sometimes as adults or or parents or carers or situations when our children are not going to school there are other things we call them secondary gain in our in our kind of profession where young people might unintentionally be getting some additional benefits so they get more time with you at home or I don't know if Safia or Linda very quickly because we've literally got 90 seconds um, what might be some examples of things that we our children might get which we consider to be secondary gain from not being at school I think the big one is the example that you've given where as a parent, if you're at home and, and your child's at home, that can I mean, that can actually feel really nice, can't, can't it? Having extra time with our child. If, if you've got a parent who's unwell and that child might actually be helping to do a bit of looking after the parent at home, then these are all reasons that um, actually a child might want to be at home or maybe the, the child is worried about a parent. And so they prefer to be with them more of the time because they're concerned. And I guess that raises an important thing that we know that sometimes children don't want to speak to their parents about their worries because they're actually worried that they've got enough going on they don't want to add something else in and I guess that's a really tricky one isn't it because as parents we want to encourage them to speak to us but I guess it's otherwise it's suggesting that and encouraging our children to have other trusted adults who they can communicate with to be able to share some of those worries because as you said Michaela the starting point 
and as Sathi has talked about, is absolutely trying to understand what the problem is. And so as parents making yourself available for your children so that and being aware of the times they might just be around and want to catch you is really important. But it's also giving them other opportunities of other routes and other strong relationships with trusted adults that they can speak to to help raise what the difficulties are, because at that point, then you can actually get in really clearly and have a clear um, idea of what's going on. Then you can make a good plan to bring about change. And I guess what's really important here is to think about if we are noticing as parents and carers early on that there start to be some issues with school, any opportunities, as Beth talked about, to find positive things that your children can engage with will be really important. But equally, if we think about their experience in school, trying to encourage and foster those relationships with their friends and um, encouraging some out of school meeting up with with friends. And so that will be another push factor to help get your child to school. We know that lots of young people have really struggled after the pandemic when there weren't the extra school activities. And I've had reports of quite a few young people who've been referred into our service and then actually don't now need that support because post the pandemic or the worst of the, the, the challenges with lockdown, things have returned to more normal and they are starting to engage more with their friends and there's more clubs and activities that are happening in school. So I would say in terms of prevention, trying to get your children to really find some things where possible within school that they can engage with or, or, or encouraging an, a, a positive relationship with a particular staff member, um, with other peers or in other activities can all be really key. And as Beth said, if that's not possible within school, finding that somewhere else but opportunities to motivate them to get to, into school will really help um, especially to help that balance if there's other things that feel tricky for them in the school environment thank you and, uh, and i guess um we we need to draw this podcast to a close we could talk forever we do have some parent workshops that we run on eventbrite so if you look on eventbrite for the psychology in schools team you'll see all of our workshops and they're all recorded and on YouTube as well so if you look under NSFT um, YouTube channel you you will be able to find them we're going to put some uh, signposting in the show notes we we would encourage as much as possible collaboration with school as early as possible and, and that can feel quite difficult if school letters come out which feel quite punitive around um, attendance and so most schools have an education welfare officer they are really keen. Everyone really has the same intention largely, which is to support a young person thrive at school and think about um, what the alternatives are if, if that's proving to be too much of a challenge. Because obviously we must also acknowledge that not every young person, school isn't right for every single young person. So I think that's important to acknowledge. I do think it'd be nice to, um, yeah, Linda. And just to say, I guess that sometimes it can feel like when there's a lot of pressure that the the best option is just to remove your child from school. But I just advise that you really take care before you do that, because there are lots of services that are out there that all link into your and, and need you to be enrolled or your child to be enrolled on the school register. So so. Um, make sure you understand all the implications if, if you feel that school really isn't working for your child before taking that step. Thank you, Linda. 
And I guess I was just hoping for some last words from Michaela. Sorry to put you on the spot. But is there any last thoughts that you, you have um, at the end of this podcast that you think will be helpful that we haven't yet covered to share with parents? Um, just stick with it, really. Um, <laughs> I know it's difficult. It can seem really like, oh, my gosh, I don't know, you know, what to do to help my child. But do some research try and get to the bottom of if there's a difficulty um, and if there is you know have meetings with the school try and you know put a little bit of a plan in place to support your child in school if there's some difficulties around school um, go through um, different relaxation techniques with your child try and make them feel at ease around you to talk about their problems and um, yeah just sort of basically everything we've covered <laughs> wonderful well thank you all so much for joining us today it's been really lovely and interesting conversation um and hopefully for parents out there who are listening there's some things new ideas for you and you might want to go and have a look at a little bit more detail at some of the resources that we we've talked about and that will be in the show notes thank you everybody thank Bye. you Bye. thanks please do subscribe it's free and means the podcast will automatically download every fortnight do rate and review mental health and you and follow our social media accounts that are all in the show notes and more than anything look after yourself